0: This podcast was brought to you by Spartan Sports. This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by Matty
1: Dunning. How are you, my friend? Great, Tim. What a great week. I know we're in lockdown, but... um... Hopefully, you get some rugby uh, still with the test being moved.
0: Yeah, well, we're all about the hookers on this show.
1: We are, mate. What what do they say? Only rugby players can do it with two hookers for foot for 80 minutes.
0: (laughs) When I say hookers, I mean Philip Nicholas Kearns, of course, former Wallaby captain, and Chris Carberry is also on the program as well. This is The Running Game. (laughs) Now, Matt, what about this constant battle between forwards and backs? You know, cricket has it with batsmen
1: and bowlers, but what about forwards versus backs? It's the old adage, Tim. It's, it's been going on for hundreds of years, or at least since the game started. You know, people are just uh, either born a back or a forward, and... Uh Couple of things. I I love I love the the old adage that what are they called blokes that hang around footballers' backs, I love that. And um <laughs> I, I reckon my retirement coincided coincided with my my last, you know, last tour when uh when a hair straightener was brought into the change room by a young back who remained nameless, James O'Connor. And once that hair straighteners <laughs> came into the sheds I realised my time was done. But no, very different mentalities, backs and forwards. You know, the, the perfect example is that you'll be at any rugby training, any rugby training around the world, and the forwards will be doing scrums, line outs, mauling. Now, this is all in all, any good club is virtually a fight. You know, it's just hard work. There's blood, there's sweat, there's tears generally a good scrum session or a good line out session gets pulled up because the opposing packs start fighting because you can't get set off for training. That's a great thing about training. But then at the same time while that's happening, the backs are generally playing hacky sack. That's <laughs> that that's you know, the anyone who compares workloads between backs and forwards have you know, it, it's just it, it it's just uncomparable. You know, it, it's just it's the old adage, you know, the the, the the backs play in the dinner suits and the forwards play in in the slop you know it's that's why they call us the the pigs but you know it it's it's funny you know i've got two young boys i've got my, my three-year-old and a two-year-old you know you know my son could come home from school one day and say you know he he want to do any job in the world and I, and i wouldn't worry you know he, 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 i wouldn't care i'd still love him but if he came home and told me he'd want to be a back Oh, that would make it hard that would make it really hard
0: <laughs> oh that is goal what a beautiful way to wrap that up and I never thought when we decided to do this podcast that I would ever hear the two words hacky sack but there you go we've had it we're, we're not we're not talking we're not talking backs tonight we're talking two really big really important number twos in the history and I mean number twos for Wallabies as in hookers uh, Philip Nicholas Kearns Wallaby captain and Chris Carberry who was one of the great technicians of Australian rugby two of
1: the great hookers we're very lucky to have them on I love a show with front rowers The running
0: game. Well, one of Australia's greatest ever captains, hooker, Phil Kearns. How are you? I'm going really well, thanks guys. Nothing but a bit of surgery doesn't doesn't fix and um, it's
2: a
1: couple of tweaks on the shoulders and Matt Dunning's probably had a few of those as well, Matt. Yeah, Kearns, a few few operations with me. I'm I'm busted these days, but um and made very very weird for me doing this cause obviously you've- you interviewed me for many years and for me to get to you on our show it, It's pretty awesome um how, how's life been you know obviously post commentary now you must have a bit of time up your sleeve and you must you must be able to see rugby from a different angle not being behind the lens How's that how's that changed and and, and what has that what has that done for your focus on rugby and how you've seen the game
2: uh It has been good actually um I get to see a bit more of the local club rugby and particularly my kids play. Um, then, you know, I always tried to get home from for their games anyway and saw most of them. But um, now you can sort of hang around a little bit longer and see what's going on in the local club. And, and I'm sort of part of two local clubs. I, I'm patron of Mossman Rugby, which is a sub-ease club. Um, but obviously also engaged in, in Randwick. because my other son plays for them. So Wilson plays for Mossman, Finn plays for Randwick. Um, so I get down to see, and you know, it's great to see the kids of some of the guys that I used to play with at Rangiwik down there and playing, and and you know, a few of the sons of other other guys that I knew from the rugby scene are, are down there, and. It's it's just a great little community.
0: It is, isn't it, Phil? And it is one of the strengths, and we've mentioned it through the course of, of our program for the last few months. It is one of the real cornerstones of the game of rugby union that it has above all other sports in this country particularly is that sense of community, that sense of club, that sense of tribalism that starts at a very young age.
2: Yeah, it, it, it does. And it's probably something we don't sell enough in our game. It's just a subtle undercurrent that, that seeps through our game, which is very powerful. I mean, what, what we don't sell is that our game was built on the values of respect. So from the day the game was invented, there was always a spot in the team for the fat bloke, the tall bloke, the skinny bloke, the fast bloke, the short bloke, the agile bloke. There was a spot for everyone. And that meant that Everyone had a role to play in the team and you respected them for that role. And that, of course, extends. We don't care whether you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're whatever you are um, or what your preferences are. There's a spot for you in our game. Um, and that's what makes it so powerful. And that that builds that great sense of community. Um, but not only is that in Australian rugby, that's in international rugby. It's the same values everywhere you go, and um, at an international level or at a club level, in every other country, it's exactly the same, and that's what builds just such a a great game, a great global game, and we should always remember that if you're the greatest AFL player in the world, you're only the best in Australia, but if you're the greatest rugby player on the planet, you are the best rugby player on the planet. And that that means something as well.
1: Couldn't agree more, Phil. Like the the whole Northern Ireland Island example, just as testament to that of uh, how a game's so inclusive, and the global game is going tremendous at the moment. You know, it couldn't be better globally. I think everyone would agree with that. How do you see it going in Australia? How do you, How do you compare us to the rest of the world? How rugby's travelling on all levels? You know, top level all the way through. Uh, probably for the
2: first time in maybe 15 or 20 years, I'm actually positive about where Australian rugby is heading. Um, And I say that primarily because we've now got two guys in charge now that are leaders in um, Hamish McLennan and Andy Marinos who understand the grassroots of the game but also understand business and the other technicalities and the other stuff that goes on all around the game. They know about broadcasting. They know about sponsorship. They know about streaming. They know about you know all this other stuff that that uh, is on the periphery of the game, Um, and they've got their heart and soul in the community game uh, as well. Um, Andy has a huge uh, involvement in the Barrennie Rugby Club down south, where I actually grew up, Um, and uh, there's a real willingness to work with the community to to make sure that the game. Improves, and there are a couple of initiatives that we're we're just kicking off now, um, which I'm I'm proud to say I'm, I'm part of um, through the Australian Rugby Foundation, and of course through this World Cup campaign that we're starting to build. So, for the first time in a long time, if we get the grassroots right, the rest of the game will come together, and I believe we're starting to get that right.
0: Yeah, you can certainly see the, the the green sprouts, can't you? I think that the the Cadbury deal was, was a real shot in the arm. The Stan deal, uh, a real positive for the game. How do you see both of those those deals? I think uh, being on free
2: to air is very very important, and we get across a much bigger audience than we did before. Or sorry, we have the opportunity to get across a much bigger audience than we did before. I, I, you know we certainly haven't maximized that and that's something that the World Cup will help to do um, but certainly we've got to do that I think the second part of it um, uh, the Cadbury deal is also excellent it's a great brand it's it's a it's a brand that that engages both adults and children um, I'm not Averse to the odd bit of Cadbury's
0: myself. <laughs> it's going to surprise you that we I, we don't mind it. This,
1: this show doesn't mind anyone, anyone, this show loves it.
2: <laughs> and uh, so,
0: so I think both
2: those things are really, really positive. Mm. Um, you know, Stan certainly have got a, a, and and Nine have got a little bit to go in the way they cover the game, but that'll come with with experience. Um, but uh, but overall, it's a positive thing for the Cape.
1: Uh, Phil, you mentioned the 27 bid. Obviously, you know, rugby was probably at its greatest on the back of your, the 99 World Cup win, and then the, obviously the 2003 World Cup in Australia. I think a World Cup in, in Australia 27 will only just, you know, get the shot in the arm we need. How are we looking, and, and how's the bid going?
2: Uh, I, th- I think we're looking okay. I, you know, one of, one of the great things about our bid is, is it's pretty well risk free. You know, Australia is a nation that uh, knows how to hold big tournaments. From Cricket World Cups um, to, to Olympic Games to Commonwealth Games, uh, we, we know how to run, and Rugby World Cups, of course. We, we know how to run big events, and the world has a great confidence in us that we know how to do that. Um, so certainly that's, that's a big plus for us. Um, The state and federal governments have been very supportive as well. They know how big that tournament is and what what it means to Australia. You know, over $2.5 billion it'll bring into the Australian economy. Um, You know, over 200,000 tourists will come in, 13,500 jobs. Um, You know, it's a thing that will just help the Australian economy generally and leave a great legacy for the game. So I think um, we're actually looking pretty good. Um, There are competitors out there, and in the near future, we'll know exactly who all of those competitors are. Um, And uh, so it's a competitive bid, but we we think, you know, we've got a plan. We're also, you know, as we've shown, the the most COVID-free nation in the world Mm -hmm. pretty much, Um, despite this little hiccup we've had over the last week or two. um, You know, I was texting one of my mates in South Africa last night and they're getting 10,000 cases a day wow. and here we are with you know, 18 today and we're worried. Um, so we're a safe place and we can hold sporting events whilst we have this
0: COVID nation. So um, I, th- I think we're a safe pair of hands. Absolutely. And, look, I think, you know, you guys played in them. I've covered some major tournaments, rugby tournaments and Olympics and know the magic of them. And I, and I just think to my kids, and I've got sports-loving kids, and the boys both play rugby, Dural, Eastwood. I just think how good it will be for them in the timing of, you know, in five, six years' time, just great for that next generation of people to to, to embrace it and enjoy it.
2: It, it. it will be. It brings an amazing atmosphere to every nation that goes to, whether it was in Japan, you know, uh, a few years ago in 2019, or whether it's in the UK in the in the regular rugby nations, if I could call it that, um, it just brings an amazing vibe to every one of those nations. So I was lucky enough to travel with the family in the uh, around France in 2007 World Cup, and it, it was just incredible. And, mm. and I'm not sure there's any other sporting event in the world that brings that same same vibe. Um, you know, the Olympics last for lasts for two weeks, and um, whereas our tournament will last for seven weeks, um, so that sustained vibe around the country just brings an enormous positives, and not just in, in Sydney and Brisbane. It's uh, it'll go to Melbourne, and hopefully Tasmania, and hopefully every state will get a taste um, of being part of the Rugby World Cup. You know, we want to encourage other nations to, as they come into Australia, why don't they have a training camp in the Northern Territory yeah. or in South Australia? They might be playing games at, uh, at the Adelaide, uh, Adelaide Oval. What a magnificent ground that is. Mm. And at the same time, travel around our country looking at um, art and the Aboriginal art areas in Northern Territory and, and South Australia. And then they could be going to the wineries and doing wine tours and seeing everything from the wines of the Canberra district across to the Barossa and into the Margaret River, and you know how good would it be as a tourist <laughs> if you're doing that sort of stuff?
0: Oh, absolutely! You're making me hungry and thirsty. Particularly the way you started <laughs> started in France with the family, with your cassolays and your in your Beaujolais. Phil, look, you've got a real friend in us. Uh, we will. We hope to be around for quite some time, and uh, we will be a, a voice as much as we can for the World Cup bid as well. It's very exciting. It's great to have you on the running game.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's an ab- absolute pleasure uh, to be on the show and and uh, everyone just needs to get engaged. got to get to australia2027.rugby and show their support. And the more support we can get from people signing up to that australia2027.rugby, then the more we can grow our game.
1: Fantastic, Phil. That's what I'll be doing straight after this. Good on you, mate. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Coming up
0: next on The Running Game, of course, he made his debut in the early 70s. He finished in the early 80s. Former Wallaby hooker, Chris Carberry. Are we seeing the emergence
1: of a new asset class in the sports sector? How was the Breakaway Football Super League to be financed? How much was that private equity investment into volleyball? What are investors' plans for Davis Cup tennis? I'm Rhys Lenaduzi, the head of advisory at Athlon Partners, a global fund and corporate advisory firm specialising in the investment and acquisition of sports organisations and sports assets. I'm also host of the all-new podcast, Sportonomic. Join me as I speak to industry experts, athletes, stakeholders and other key players to uncover the curtain engine and machinations of sport. Each week, I venture beyond the mere headlines and into the depths of the issues surrounding sports business, sports law, sports economics and finance. Find us on your favourite podcast app. Sportonomic,
0: sponsored by Athlon Partners. Come find out about the emerging universe of sports capital at athlonpartners.com. Keeping our theme of hookers on the running game, uh, our next guest uh, described as one of the greatest hooking technicians that the game has seen. Chris Carberry, of course, played for the Wallabies 13 times. How are you, Chris? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Good to hear from you.
1: Chris, obviously, you've 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 played rugby at all levels, you know, a lot of you're from the country, Gunada, you went to St Joseph's College, played with the Wallabies, uh played with from my understanding, three states, New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. Um, a bit of insights into your career. Some of our listeners wouldn't have known a lot about your career, but a bit of insights about how why you love the game of rugby and, and where your career took you? Oh, gee. Uh,
3: it's a fair while
1: ago now. Um uh <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, firstly, not Gundagai, but Gundagai, where the dog sits on the tackle box. Oh. And, and Joey's is, uh, is correct. I played um, for Sydney University. Very lucky to um, play on the premiership side there in 1972 under the great coach, Dave Rockoff. Wonderful memories there. And Then, in order to actually do my law degree, I moved to Queensland. And so I played eventually for Queensland as well. Uh, the, the third, the third state's an interesting one. Um, I actually, I think I'm on the record as playing one game for Victoria, which was in the old days we used to have Wallaby trials. So I can remember being flown down to uh, Melbourne, and uh, the Wallaby squad lent, I think, three or four of us to play for Victoria, and actually scored a try for Victoria against the Wallabies in a Wallaby trial. <laughs> um, my first test was against Tonga. And that's the one we lost on Ballymore in 1973. I was fortunate enough, however, to survive the selection room and got selected on the short tour of the UK, England and Wales in 1973. Back to Australia,
0: uh, involved in various series against the All Blacks, for instance, 1974, etc. It's been quite a been quite a career, Chris. It did trace a whole decade or so. So the players would be quite different from when you started to when you finished. What about this art of hooking? What about this scrummaging that is so? Iconic with the game of rugby, and it's interesting when you watch junior levels, and you could see a team that might be a more dominant football team out in the back line but they lose the game because they lose every scrum. Well, how long have you got? <laughs> oh, we, 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 we got, we got, we got time. We got time. But I knew this was an area of your interest, and this is a this is a very much a purist program. This, yeah. Look, theoretically, in in the game of rugby,
3: there's two two scrums. There's the set scrum and the loose scrum. The loose scrum is the is the ruck and mall. Um, the set scrum, the purpose of it is really to declutter the field and restart play when there's been an error. So you watch Rugby League at the moment and you can see where <laughs> where that can be developed. In other words, let's not worry about it being a contest, just throw the ball in straight from the halfback down to the number eight and let's get going. However, you know the concept of the scrum as You know, a battle between two packs of forwards has managed to survive in the the game of rugby with a few changes along the way. But you've asked me specifically about the role of a hooker and the importance of winning a scrum or losing it to the game. As as a restart, you really can build an entire strategy around the scrum. You, you, You know, there are certain strategies you could undertake in order to make sure you did have scrums. The scrum is a result of an error. Now, when I first started in, in international scrumming, I, I, you know, one little anecdote I can I can tell you, I mean, I went from 1973 all the way up to 1982, and I can remember assembling at the travel lodge at Rushcutters Bay, and our first scrum session in preparation for going to England in 1973 was to walk over to Centennial Park, and they brought, I think, Peter Johnson and John Thornett up from the city wearing their suits, and they leant against us, and and gave us a few tips about about scrumming. We went off to England and of course got pushed all over the place. So by the time I finished in 1982, the scrum was a powerful unit. It was you know the eight man shove had had come in. At the start of my career, I used to hook with my near foot. Mind you, at the start of my career, the wingers used to throw the ball in, into the lineout. But as a result of those early tours, the national coaching panel was convened, and one of the one of the, the, the actual mandatory rules they brought in was that, was from now on all hookers must push and resist with their near foot, that's their left foot, and and hook with the with the opposite foot. So there's the, the role of the hooker between that decade changed enormously, in, including being a pushing forward. And I think just to cut this part of the conversation short uh, towards the. Towards the end of my career, I, I got the reputation as being the scrum caller. You know, we, we used to get up to a fair number of, of tricks, crabs, and wheels, and half wheels, and chubs, and sometimes we sometimes we'd push and sometimes we didn't. And the, in the same way as there's somebody that calls all the moves in in a lineout, you know, I, I was a designated person to call all those strategic moves in the scrum. So. The thing about a scrum, the measure I think always has been, and I think it still is, but I don't think it's well enough respected or understood, is not so much how much you push the other side around, it's what use you've planned to get from the ball when when it's your feed and whether you can demonstrate that you've got the use of, the team got the use of the ball that you planned for. And, of course, the converse applies to the opposition, that is... Uh, you know, what can we do to the opposition to deny them of whatever plan they had to launch from the set play? Junior or senior, it's not just about how many you win, it's about how you win them, where you win them. Yeah, it's it's strategic, yeah.
1: Chris, I could talk about scrums all day. You've probably heard me say before, the most important person in the rugby side is a head prop, and the second is the reserve head prop, so... You know, the the scrum has changed so much and I think we've got a really good scrum with the Wallabies now. In saying that, how do you you see the current crop of players, you know, not just the front row, the the squads we're assembling at the moment and how how the game is going in in, in the current era?
3: Look, I'm pretty positive. You know, I haven't coached for the best part of 10 years, but I follow it. I've got to say I follow the international games more than I follow the the provincial games. Oh, by the way, uh, I loved your little comment about the, the most important. He's tight-headed and second-most important. <laughs> I, I think Eddie Jones would agree with him um, based upon, uh, the, what was it, the England performance last yeah. year because that's where he lost
1: it. Yeah, the reserve title, Look, yeah.
3: I think we are looking good. But it, clearly, the young talent's coming through, but uh, you know, obviously, I'm more interested in what happens up front. Look, we've got young Front rowers, we've got God, how many hookers we've we got? We've got about four, haven't we? That that four or five that you could that you could throw in there at the moment. We've got Slipper still, you know, with tremendous experience, and then of course uh, you know Taniella, um, who's just amazing. You know, I, I was watching a video the other day of, of some of these incredible athletes in um, in the Gwynneon game. You know, their explosiveness, their uh, their agility, and what have you. He reminds me of some of them, to tell you the truth. I think there's probably not much he can't do. My only criticism would be, and I touched on it before, sometimes you don't need to dominate your opponent. If you take my definition of what makes a successful scrum, that is, did you get the use out of it that you planned? You know, I think sometimes he can overdo it a bit. But uh, locks, well, you know, I think there's plenty of plenty of them around. But what I'm most pleased about is the development of our back row stocks at the moment. Um, don't get me started on, um, I think, Matt, you and I have had a conversation about the rabbits. I'm fairly anti, you know, the short foraging back row, or I'd rather the big guy that uh,
0: takes us forward and gives us line-out options and what have you. And we seem to be breeding a few of those at the moment, so... Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And then we spoke to Phil Kearns earlier in the show and, and he, he, he stressed one of the great loves of this game and one of the great strengths of this game is its egalitarian spirit in the sense that there's a spot for everyone. <laughs> he, he said there's a spot for the fat guy, the skinny guy, the tall guy. That, that's how he laconically put it. But in your words, tell us about the magic. Tell us about the magic of the game they play in heaven. Why is it so wonderful?
3: You know, when you sent me the text last last week, and um, and you mentioned the running game, I pulled out the old movie, the Running Game. Uh-huh. I thought that's what you were going to ask me about. I had a look at it on the weekend, and I've got to say, I went a bit misty-eyed. <laughs> um, so to watch that movie of, which is a, a unique social document of what it was like to tour the UK in eighty-one, eighty-two, Seventh Wallabies with your mates, what a fantastic experience! And I think thing I've got to say is that the variety of experiences and friendships and what have you um, that I've had in the game at all sorts of levels. Now, junior level, junior community level, well, I think what drags you into junior junior community level is your kids. Mm. There's lots of mums and dads in that situation. Um, Club rugby, you know, you tend to, when you finish your playing days, you you know you've got experience you need to share and uh, you're still looking for a challenge. Uh, other community rugby, I've been involved in, um, in establishing a community club down in Logan, you know, Logan Workers Rugby Club. I think yeah, well, it's a unique sport that, as you say, and as Phil says, and he's right, it, it caters for all, all athletic abilities and all body shapes, but also it can invade your life and uh, create your friendships at the different stages of your life, I think. You know, my wife and I have had wonderful years as the kids grew up meeting other parents at a community level, <laughs> and in recent years, I've had uh, Matt, you, you know my son, son, Ben, that's involved with the Spartan group, and uh, he got himself involved because of his kids uh, in Seaforth Raiders Junior Rugby Club, and I thought, God, here we go again, this is generational. You know, it's, uh, he's going through the same great family experiences that my wife and I went through when, when he was a kid. So it certainly gets you in. It certainly gets you in. It's got, uh, it's got
0: something that uh, you know, maybe is a bit unique. Yeah, I look, at, as someone, and I've mentioned it a few times, I've come to the game a little bit late. I've broadcast plenty of Rugby Union, but never played it. Grew up in Guildford in Western Sydney. It was all about rugby league. But I've certainly, through my coverage and my own children playing it, have really really seen this great, unique nature of rugby union. It's great community. And um, it's been a real delight to have a chat with you today. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. All right, Great to talk to you. Game. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Thank you to today's guests, Phil Kearns and Chris Carberry, and, of course, Spartan Sports, our wonderful sponsor, and our great producer, Mr Dan McHugh. We'll see you next week, Matt. Can't wait, Tim. Great show.